Welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with two very interesting travelers that I'm really looking forward to interviewing for today because we're going to talk about some really important subjects uh, as we travel around the world. So we have Sam Solway with us, and we also have Raquel Hernandez, and they are yoga slackers. So super excited for you guys to be on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So the thing that I found really cool about your bio and I watched a couple of your videos on on uh, Instagram is that you guys not only try to experience the world but you try to keep yourselves as engaged with the places that you visit as possible and that means the the earth that you're traveling on and the people that you're engaging with I'm really curious about what got you to that point that you are today where you guys have become you know such such healthy travelers but Sam you mentioned that you grew up in North Dakota and North Dakota is not typically a place that produces a lot of travelers so how did you get from North Dakota to starting to see the world So my story is uh my mom decided to move to South Miami Florida when I was 5 so she put us in a, she had a 75 conversion van with you know the blue shag carpet and the tinted windows and, you know, the hippie van basically had sure. the hot air balloons on the side of it. And so we loaded up in that and went on a 3000 mile trip across the United States. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that kind of put the bug into my brain early on. Good um, job, mom, huh? Yeah. To get you out there. That's yeah. great. She, uh, she did retire a few years ago on her Harley and traveled <laughs> around camping. So I think it, it does definitely run in the family. Oh, that's fantastic. And then you left North Dakota. And where did you first start or how did you first start traveling? We did eventually move back when I was 13 to North Dakota and I spent uh, those years growing up there and just uh, having that, I guess, exposure to cultural diversity of living in South Miami uh, really made me want to see more of the world and not necessarily be content in North Dakota. My mission at the time was watching my friends growing up. There wasn't a lot of outlet for excitement or fun mm. and everyone kind of turned to more alcohol and cigarettes to kind of fill their time and that just never was something that uh, resonated with me. So then I wanted to start pulling the adventures I saw out in the world back to the Midwest and kind of try to fill that void. So while I was in college, I found rock climbing nice and uh, helped start a climbing gym in the community basically started traveling um, to climbing locations and Got it. and bringing that culture back to the Midwest was really important. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, rock climbers have been overlanding before overlanding was a term. So they camp out every night. Yeah. They, they had Tacomas before Tacomas were overland vehicles yeah. or some version of a Toyota pickup or whatever. So if you ever want to look and see how real minimalist overlanding looks, refer to the rock climbers, I think. I believe you're correct. The term is a uh, dirt bag. <laughs> I was so trying to avoid saying yeah, that. But, it's, uh, <laughs> but we, we uh, embrace it as climbers and it's actually a badge of honor, I think, um, yeah. if you went that route. Now things are changing so much and there's many different paths to climbing and that's wonderful as well. Yeah. So. No, I think you, it has to be able to meet the needs of all people. And But I think that there is a purity to that and you see it in a lot of the climbers that have been particularly successful because climbing is primarily a mental mm -hmm. exercise. I don't do very well as a rock climber. I'm just a giant human being trying to scale a mountain. Uh, but I find that when I do rock climb that or canyoneering or anything mm -hmm. like that, when you can keep yourself calm and focused and you can solve problems and you can push past those discomforts, that you tend to make it to the next yeah, obstacle. It's a lot about being in the moment 
and you need to think far enough ahead, but really keep the idea of falling out of your head while mm. you make these moves. So it's breaking it down into minute problems and then tackling a very small specific problem without necessarily worrying that you have a lot of exposure behind you. And then trusting the equipment is a big uh, aspect of it. And then have you found that in addition to trusting this good gear that you're using, that you're also oftentimes relying on others. Someone has you on belay, or maybe you're lead climbing and someone still has you on belay, or they're trusting you after you've climbed the route uh, to have set those anchors properly. A hundred percent. So climbing really helps develop your trust in fellow humans, and you are truly putting your life into someone else's hands constantly. And that comes on both sides of things. Like you have to climb smart when you're leading and you have someone belaying you. If you're doing something that's multi-pitch as well as they have to do everything right as well. Yeah, so it's a sense. lot of double checking and, and making sure it's so easy to become complacent in something you do so frequently. So, and that's carried over into our overlanding experience as well. Like when we go to leave somewhere, it's like, did you shut the window? Did you do this? Did you do sure. that? Did you make sure this is in the right position? So And taking care of your equipment because we rely on it. When we travel around the world, we rely on our vehicle and we rely on our water filters and we rely on our refrigerator to keep our food fresh and things like that. So it, it definitely does carry over that mindfulness of the yeah. gear that we use, I believe, continues over into travel as well. Raquel, you grew up in Puerto Rico. Is, did I get that correct? Okay. So first of all, how did you start to travel or did you always have a passion for travel? I started to travel with my parents. Very locally, I think they, when we were kids, they took us to all the towns in Puerto Rico. Wow. I feel it was an excuse because they were like, we're not going to leave Puerto Rico until we have seen all of Puerto Rico. And that just I like extended that. for a lot of years. For me, it was realizing how small Puerto Rico is mm. and how little, I mean, how much we could see, but also you feel the boundaries of the island. Ah, and sure. I remember as a kid in geography, looking at the U.S. and like tracing how far you can go on land before you needed to take a plane or a boat sure. to go somewhere else. Interesting. Same with Europe. Like you can go from Europe to Africa to Asia. That for me always felt like something amazing. And yeah. that people had the privilege to do that versus where we're on a tiny island. So we needed to fly somewhere. So I've been looking forward to traveling in a vehicle for a long time. That's how it started. I have a master's in marine biology. And when I was doing my marine biology studies, I was doing a lot of research. And we had to present our research in different conferences. So I ended up traveling internationally and nationally with them a lot. And that is part the idea of, mm. oh, I can go to a place, I can fly to a place, and then have the biggest adventure I can afford in that location before I have to come back. So when you look back to that time traveling with your family, what do you remember them teaching you about travel that you still take with you today? For me, it was that it can be done in a budget. Because yeah. that was also part of the reasons we're mainly traveling during on car on Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is small enough that the way my parents did it, we came back home every night. Sure. But... We took our food. We were there with, other than spending for gas, we didn't have to spend so much money, yet it felt like we were living a very full life. Yeah. Right. So 
that was a trick. It was different than if we had gone and staying in hotels all the time or gone to restaurants, mm. that would have made a boundary of being like, oh, I need to have this much money to be able to do it. Versus with them, it was more like, just pack the car, take whatever you want, lift what doesn't fit, and let's go have an adventure. That's, that's amazing. And I've never been to Puerto Rico, and I would love to go. But the question that, I, this is maybe a selfish question, but what are some of the places that you love going to most in Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico is really special. We have uh, one of the brightest bioluminescent bays oh, wow. in the world. Wow. Um, so, every, I mean, and we have several. We will not only have one. Like we have at least three pretty big bays in the bioluminescent bays in the island. So that's a special place to go. So I, every time someone goes to Puerto Rico, I like to play tourist guide because I get to go to my favorite places. Sure. So that's one for sure to have. For me, it uh, makes it extra special because once I go there, I always connect or try to connect with the first person that was there. Uh-huh. Jumping in the water at night, and then all of the sudden everything starts glowing. Yeah, as a marine biologist, I know why, but I can imagine someone being like, "What's going on? What? What?" It would what be the spirits of their ancestors, or it would be something that they would. I mean, if you look at like the aurora borealis, which I believe you guys would have encountered in your trip up north, but to see the aurora is is such a powerful experience. And it's a, it's a version of that, of what you see with the bioluminescence. And I remember uh, I just did a sailing trip across the Pacific Ocean up to the Aleutian Islands last year. And I remember late one night I was at the helm and I didn't really notice the bioluminescence at first. But then I looked back to check um, the back of the boat. The swirling off of the rudder of the sailboat was just creating these beautiful swirls and pools of bioluminescence. I just stood there completely transfixed by it for quite some time because it was so beautiful uh, and it was so quiet. And sailing in general does give us a lot of those moments of stillness. Uh, but in your, in your time as a, a marine biologist, is that when you really started to gain this appreciation for being out in nature? I decided to become a marine biologist because I wanted to be out in nature. Okay. Uh, it's since I'm a child, I want to be outside. Like my parents raised us fairly religious, and I was like, I find my church in nature. So I want to go hiking and mm. be on the mountain, connected with our ancestors that Yuki uh, El Junque, which refers to Yuki Yu, the, their god from our indigenous people. I connected to that idea since I was a kid. Sure. So, you know, I, I think I was just wired that way to be and, out. And nature is powerful for us. I, I feel like it's such a healing force. I, I love the fact that in the Japanese culture, because so many Japanese live in cities, um, so they don't have an opportunity to be in nature. But oftentimes someone that's experiencing stress or some kind of anxiety as part of in that culture, their doctor will prescribe what they call nature bathing and they'll prescribe for this for this person to go out and be in nature to go into the trees and to listen to the water and to feel the breeze against your skin and that's such a rarity in modern life interesting you bring that up because on our first trip up to alaska in our tiny ford festiva we didn't have a sim card that worked in canada so we downloaded a lot of old books that were in the public domain on cool. LibriVox, and a lot of the 
books will refer to doctors prescribing mountain air to people. And so we were drawn that same parallel as you just brought up from Japan. But it's so funny how we learn so much in the modern day. There's so much technology available to us and our understanding of science and so many things is so powerful. And it's important. It's, it's important for us as, as uh, a species to move forward and find ways to be more effective in the way that, that we do things. It's amazing that those older practices are oftentimes either forgotten or they're underappreciated. You hear, take this pill and it'll make you feel better. Uh, whereas maybe the pill that you need is to go for a hike a couple times a week. As a marine biologist, what did you specialize in? I study coral reefs. Okay. Um, at the time, I was using satellite image to monitor the reef health. And actually, even like retrospective, because there was a big die off in the 70s uh, of reefs throughout the Caribbean. So we were mapping that die off, mm-hmm. which... Now, it's easy to connect things in the past, like you helped me just right now to connect. Some things is that I'm interested in corals, our very sensitive uh, organism, the bio bay, the rainforest. So are things that humans have a big impact with, we do, we, we plow land, it affects the coral reefs. We plow land, it rains, it affects the, both the rainforest and the bioluminescence. So I guess in a way, I was observing how as humans we make a change sometimes not knowing the consequences of our actions but that a lot of organisms suffer and ourselves yeah the first time i went to the bio bay as a kid it was like entering avatar like the movie was so bright so beautiful and as i've been going every two years let's say when a friend goes in puerto rico and happened to be there i have witnessed the die-off. Yeah, uh, it's sure. still bright compared to other ones, but not quite mm. as bright. And I'm still young, right? It hasn't right. happened. It's not me in the 80s right. telling you what was happening when I was a kid. I'm just 40. Yeah, it? sure. And your time in um, marine biology, uh, how did that allow for you to begin to travel the way that you are now? Or how did you two meet, I guess is what I'm asking. How did you guys start doing this form of travel? Well, traveling as a marine biologist, I took advantage of grants. So I had the privilege of doing research, being funded, and being applied to different programs that took me out. Like I applied to pro- programs to bring more people of color into this, into science. So that was a big help. It's um, so important. Yes. It did show me in a way that what I want was the sensation of being outdoors, like this like idea of being in church, in a sense, everywhere I go. And with time, I transition to yoga. And through yoga, I can find that anywhere I am, even if I'm in a city. So I went from marine biologies. I joked that I self-medicated through yoga to finish my studies quickly. I became a yoga teacher, traveled to India to do that, and then started traveling as both a yoga teacher and someone that just grab a backpack, go maybe learn or teach in a location and explore. Mm. And in one of those trips is where I met Sam. I wanted to get training on slacklining. I was already a climber in Puerto Rico. I was slacklining. As a yogi, I started doing yoga on a slackline, and they realized that there was a company, Yoga Slackers, that was doing exactly that. Oh, wow. So I went to one of those trainings, 
And so this guy <laughs> immediately fell in love with him. Oh, that's so wonderful. And where was the training at? Where was it located? It was in Virginia. You know, it's for lovers. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's so fantastic. Oh, that that is... was something that was pointed out to us here at this show. Um, we had never really connected the dots. We've been together 10 years now and never really connected the dots that we met in Virginia and it was for lovers. Oh, that's <laughs> So that's our new, our new thing. Oh, that's wonderful. And the yoga side of it is really interesting to me. Uh, I'm, I'm terrible at yoga. Um, but the thing that's so great about yoga that I've been told every time I go is that it's your practice, um, which for me, I'm really practicing because I, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm usually fall over in some fashion or the other. But it's, since it's my practice, I, st I stopped trying because I can't do the things that the instructor is doing. I'm not that flexible and I'm, you know, a big human being trying to bend myself in directions that I probably don't bend very well. But I find that every time that I do yoga and I put some intention behind it and I do it with regularity, it's amazing how better, how much better my back feels mm -hmm. or how much better my hips feel or, and in the same way that I have found meditation to be really powerful and meditation takes many forms. So for those that are listening, you'll find your own version of what that is. For some people that may be praying, for some people that may be um, just taking a long walk and being lost in your thoughts. For me, it's a little bit more intentional. I found that if I can do yoga often enough and if I can do meditation often enough, my life improves quite a bit. So for you two, since this is a part of your life and it's something that you guys practice on a regular basis, <clears throat> there are stresses to being travelers. And there's all of this, these, these new experiences and there's these um, issues that come up and challenges and everything else like that. How have you found that yoga, slacklining, meditation, those practices, how have they improved your travels or made you better travelers? First, when we think about yoga, we're thinking of yoga as a full system, right? It's very easy uh, nowadays to look at yoga only as the asana practice, so the physical practice, which is fabulous. But we look at yoga more as the system that includes meditation, includes pranayama, includes... Breath work. Breath work, pranayama. What, what is... Uh, so pranayama is breath work? Breath work. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. So then yoga is the method and also the goal, in a sense, is how can we... If we look at the Eightfold Path, which is... You're supposed to do eight things to find mental clarity, let's call it. And, and it starts first with how you act, right? Your yamas and yamas. In a way, if we were to like translate it really quickly is be a good person to others, be a good person to yourselves, including things like cleanliness, right? Like sometimes I'm like, okay, someone needs to take a shower. It's not just about your health or my health. It's about our health. Yeah. Right? And the people that interact with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah right? So we start, actually, uh, Yama Ahimsa is the first one, which is a non-violent, yeah. which is one that if we look at this in order, it says first Ahimsa. The first thing that we need to do is be non-violent. So no violence towards others, no violence towards the planet, not violence physically, but also mentally, emotionally. Verbally. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking about that. Yamas and niyamas, be good to others, be good to yourself, if we, if we want to like make them very simple. Then it says asana. And the idea of asana is a physical movement to make your body comfortable. Like you notice that the more you practice, 
the physical practice of asana, your back feels good, it but also, also probably your mind no feels question. good. Yeah, no question. So then they said, sit down and focus on your breath, pranayama. And once you focus on your breath, this is kind of the only things that you can control. Then the longer you focus on your breath, you find in a state of concentration. The longer you are on that state of concentration, you realize that you get to a space that you are a witness of everything. And the last step, which is samadhi, enlightenment, is realizing that you are the witness and you are the person and the space that's being witnessed. Mm -hmm. right? So when we look at yoga, in a sense, I try to bring yoga to everything we do. Not necessarily on the... I get emotional. Yeah, it's beautiful, though. It's amazing. Not necessarily on the physical practice, but on the mental stillness and going back to that idea of non-violence towards mm. everything. Including ourselves. Yeah, including ourselves. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And then how, how do you feel like that having that practice be a part of your life every day? How, does, how do you feel like that has helped you as travelers? We've been on the road for, well, I've been on the road 15 years and we've been on the road together for 10. And we just face a lot of non-traditional challenges. So being able to have this tool to address these non-traditional challenges has been a big help because there's, it's not like we can look to others for examples. Now that the internet is more popular and there are more people doing what we do, we, we had those examples and we hope sure. to be some of those examples for oh, others you guys in are this for process. Sure. So. But just having that methodology to, to handle the challenges and mm -hmm. utilizing that to communicate better with each other, that whole thread of nonviolence. Yeah, even towards each other. You're right, because you're in, you guys travel in a Delica, which is a small van. Uh, and it's, is it a right-hand drive? Right. So it, a small diesel right-hand drive van, usually they're imported from Japan. They're very popular now because they're a great, a great platform. Yeah. But it's a small vehicle, not only to sit next to each other while you're driving for many hours, but also sleeping in the back. It's a very small space. It doesn't mean that we get a lot of time for stillness and quiet and alone time when we travel with others. So I can see why that would be so helpful as a traveler. You're driving along, you're in traffic, and you start to focus on your breath. Or you're driving along and you just got cut off. And you start to focus on nonviolence. Yeah. <laughs> and the asana also translates through. So sure. like sitting in a hunched position, you're paying attention to your posture. And sure. Like and when you stop the vehicle to get fuel or whatever, maybe you stretch in a few ways that help you, you to feel refreshed. Like gas station conditioning. <laughs> I like it. And a special thanks to Nimble Vehicles for supporting this week's podcast. Nimble Vehicles has been the leading manufacturer of extreme expedition vehicles since 2019. The Nimble Evolution is the ultimate vehicle for beginning overlanders and extreme adventurers alike. The proprietary lightweight aluminum flatbed combined with a luxurious habitat allows you to confidently go where others only dream of. Built on any one-ton chassis or larger with an off-roading package, 75 gallons of fresh water, over 1,000 watts of solar, and over 1,000 amp hours of lithium-ion batteries. You can expect to be off the grid for extended periods of time. To find out more information, visit nimblevehicles.com online, or you can email info at nimblevehicles.com for more information. Thanks again, Nimble. 
I've always wondered if there isn't a series of either poses or movements or thoughtfulness around that that help us when we get tired when we're driving. So if you guys are driving along and you're tired and you stop the vehicle to kind of refresh your mind and gain back a little bit of energy and clarity, are there things that you would do to help improve that? I mean, I do jumping jacks now, or I run around the vehicle a bunch of times, but I don't find that it lasts that long. Whereas uh, when I combined it the last time with some breath work, that helped big breaths in and really saturating the lungs and being mindful of that, it actually helped a little bit better even than doing jump, jumping jacks. So what have you guys found works to help when you're tired? Well, when we're tired, we have the advantage that we have a second person. So yeah, often sure. we just trade off. Yeah, sure. But there is in yoga, when we look at poses, there are either cooling poses or warming poses. Like you either create a stillness on the body or on the body or fire. Okay. So we're looking at fiery poses. So for myself, if I needed to like wake up, I will like go outside and do some handstands or do a sun salutation even he's on the middle of the night. Just things that bring fire into the body so I can stay awakened. And is the sun salutation where the knee is forward and the other leg help describe so, the describe the pose. Yeah, I'll let Raquel describe it, but the, the goal there is really linking your breath with your movement, which builds that fire. Okay. Yeah, so sun salutations is a sequence of poses. Uh, you will start standing, inhale, go up, yeah. forward fold, touch your toes, inhale, look forward, move into a plank position. So it has a push-up incorporated into it. In the next inhalation brings you into a back bend. Okay. You exhale into a downward dog, and then you go back to standing. Okay. So one of the benefits of that sequence in particular is that it works with the flexion of extension of your spine ah, and okay. in that sense it works not only with your spine but your hip flexors your hips your entire body uh -huh. right so in five sound salutations probably take less than a minute mm. and you move your body you recirculate that air and mm. blood and energy and mm. then you're it's a great way to wake up and move throughout the day yeah it's kind of an ancient burpee Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I wouldn't doubt that the burpee somehow came from the sun salutation. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah. yeah, you can see it and why it would be so helpful. I mean, mm -hmm. the burpee is a little bit more of a form of torture, but I do like the sun salutation. <laughs> I find it's a pretty good one. Yeah. There's also breath works that is targeted to wake, awaken and also other things that bring you joy in general. Like, I don't tend to do a lot of chanting or singing, but every so often when I'm tired, I might just put a stand of half mantras and just like singing as much as I can. In a way, it doesn't matter what you're singing, right? Mm. It's about something that brings joy into your current moment. Yeah, to the sure. Right now. Well, let's, let's talk practically a little bit because we do the overlandy thing, so... What helped you decide on the Delica? What what prompted you to decide on that vehicle to travel in? I spent 12 years in a 1988 Ford Festiva, so about 20 Which is amazing. Feet. I love. And where did you travel in that car? How what was the the like so, the furthest north, west, east, south you went in that vehicle? Yeah, we did all of that. Um so <laughs> I love it. We were in Alaska, we did Newfoundland for northeast. Uh we did you did, go to St. John's in the in the end of the Yeah, all the way to the end of both, yep. Down to Key West, uh, awesome. the southernmost point, and then 
We didn't get much into Mexico. Uh, at one point, the car made it down into Sonora, Mexico, but that's as far south as it. Were you gone. with the car when it made it down to Sonora, Mexico? Yes, yes, that's an excellent <laughs> there are, question. There are cars that make it to Sonora, Mexico without the driver. <laughs> that is an excellent question. Um, a sidebar to that is we we went to San Francisco, and on the way, I had changed the oil in the car, but accidentally changed the transmission fluid. I oh. drained the transmission fluid and filled the oil. Got Needless it. to say, the car didn't make it far. Yeah. And we still needed to make it to San Francisco. Luckily, we borrowed our friend's dad's car. We made it to San Francisco. And then in within three days, our bikes were stolen and the car was stolen. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> but, so they stole a non-running vehicle? No, no. So uh, They stole your bought, dad's car? Yeah, we stole our friend's dad's car. Oh, your friend's dad's car was stolen. Yeah. I got it. And it would have been our car that had now lived this amazing life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Uh, and who knows where it is now? <laughs> right. Well, actually, the police recovered it. Oh, got longer it. Story. Longer story. Even longer story. I see how that works. So uh, then is that when you decided that the Delica was for you or... Well, so the path from the car, really enjoyed the small platform and the maneuverability of it. We are overlanding in every sense of the term. It's like we need to be as comfortable in a city as we are out in the backcountry. So the Delica had a very similar footprint to the Festiva. It's only about a foot and a half longer. Interesting. And it's actually narrower than the Festiva. Interesting. Um, But it's so much taller. Yes. We get a lot more cubic feet. uh, We like to say, but it's it's sixty six square feet as opposed to the twenty eight of the Festiva. When we made the transition from one car to the other, we did it first because the Festiva was dying. Mm-hmm. So there was rust on the uniframe. So we, we needed to get a newer vehicle. Sure. If that hadn't happened, we would probably still driving on the Festiva. Newer doesn't work. It's the exact same year. Well, we needed to have a different vehicle. That is very true. <laughs> a new to you vehicle. Yeah. New to us. <laughs> so my request was that we needed to get a vehicle that had a big enough bed to fit both of our shoulders sideways. Sure. Because right? the, the Festiva had a 1.5 person bed. <laughs> I got you. One of us, me, usually slept sideways. So okay. My shoulders were starting to feel it. Sure. There's not enough yoga that you can do if your sleeping position is uncomfortable. I see. Yeah, so, sleep is such a critical piece. Yeah. So that was one request. The other one was that we needed to have an air conditioning. Uh-huh. I kind of got one and a half of the requests. We have we a have, bigger bed. Yeah, bigger bed, but the, the air conditioning didn't work when we bought the van. Okay. And then, uh, we subsequently removed that AC and eventually put in a 12-volt uh, compressor. So, but <laughs> Now it works. Now it works. Yeah. Took, uh, does, that allow, does that allow for you to have air conditioning then when you first go to sleep? You can even run it with the vehicle parked? Yeah, so the 12-volt AC is is amazing for us because um, we have a bunch of storage, Battleborne batteries and stuff, so we can use the AC and set the temperature a little higher, and then it we can run it all night. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that yes. makes such a difference. When you're outside and there's a bit of a breeze and stuff, it can be fine during the day to be in 85, 90-degree mm-hmm. temperatures, but... For some reason, when like when I sleep, if I can get it down into the 60s, I like I hibernate. I yeah. do so much better. So I do find that having having it being a little colder. Right now, I've been testing this small little air conditioning unit in my Scout camper, and it only runs for three or four hours off the battery that's with it. Mm-hmm. If I just have it blowing kind of over my chest and face, yeah. there's something about that cool air that does help me. Mm-hmm. Go to sleep. Yeah. So, and that's like the Delica is pretty small. So we zone things off with curtains. So we're oh, that just makes cooling sense. a very small area. Yeah, that where makes we a, are. that makes a lot of sense. Your Delica is four wheel drive as well. 
Yep. Yeah. So now you've been able to get even further into the backcountry. Although I'm sure you took that Festiva places that. Doesn't <laughs> recommend it. Yeah. Yes, that's a good way to put it, Raquel. Yeah, but that's true in everywhere in the world. You see that in Puerto Rico. You see it anywhere. Yeah. Is you know you're you're back in the this trail with your four wheel drive and you're feeling all overlandy and everything. And here comes like a local in their in their <laughs> in their in their Celica. Yeah. Exactly. And if they get a little stuck, everybody hops out and they all push, push. and they keep going and. It's an important, humbling reminder that there are certainly places in the world that four wheel drive is a is a critical piece, and it does give us some peace of mind. Uh, if you guys get snow, mm-hmm. you've got yeah, some we, capability. If you yeah. get some mud, you've got some capability, some sand. And and have you enjoyed the Delica? Just briefly on the four wheel drive system, a little bit more. We put in manual hubs, so then essentially we have two low, and then yeah. we have a limited slip differential. Perfect. So we use that to kind of go into places. And if we can't go in anymore, then we stop going that direction because we know we can get out with four-wheel drive. Yeah, sure. So, and it probably gives you better gas mileage having the hubs on the front. Yep. Yeah. You can disengage the front sure. drive unit altogether. So. Yeah, that's great. And then also it's great in an emergency because I blew out a U-joint. And then with the auto hubs, you can't, you don't have the resistance to engage the front system. Gotcha. But with manual hubs, you can engage the front system and then drive in two-wheel drive, uh, limp-backed yeah, f- civilization. Front-wheel drive, yep. sure. You'd put, drop the rear drive shaft. And- yep. Well, I didn't even have to drop the drive shaft. The U-joint exploded and the vehicle threw the drive shaft somewhere on the interstate. <laughs> really? I couldn't find it. Yet. Oh, no. <laughs> That's an amazing story. Did it do a bunch? Normally, that does an enormous amount of damage to the underside of the vehicle. The, the first time it happened, it did do an enormous amount of damage. Um, yeah, it took out the tunnel for the fifth gear on the trans- yeah, transmission. Sure. So it's like an aluminum housing. That went... And then it turned into like a small airplane propeller. Totally. It's a Delica is an 88 inch wheelbase. So our drive shaft, I think it's 12 inches. It might be 13 inches long. Yeah. So that sucker turned into a propeller underneath and took out the gas tank and yeah, uh, it just augers and it bound out. up and took out the transfer case. It twisted the, the wow. whole thing out. The second time it blew, it just uh, took out the output shaft on the transfer case. So very lucky uh, that broke off and then jettisoned the the drive shaft somewhere. I looked for it for about an hour and a half and I could not find it. Wow. It became uh, a projectile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no one was on the side. I ran a mile and a half down the road back looking on the interstate, both sides. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, I couldn't find it. Anywhere. Yeah. Who knows? It's it's somewhere in Kansas by yeah. now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was in Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a cool vehicle. And then are you guys planning, you're still mostly traveling in the U.S. with it or are you planning to start traveling yeah, the goal further south. Or? Yeah, the goal is probably we do a little bit of work overseas, so we'll fly out to Thailand from the east coast. So um, I was thinking, I haven't even told Raquel yet. So oh, you, you all will hear before Raquel <laughs> or at the same time. <laughs> but I would like to drive up into Labrador because we didn't get there with the car. We just went to Newfoundland with the car. So nice. I want to get over to Labrador and and kind of check that area out, and then um, we'll come down and potentially head all the way down to Patagonia. That'll be amazing. Yeah. And it's to, a perfect vehicle for that. It's pretty good. You have to be a little creative getting through Costa Rica. Uh, right. With the right hand drive. Right-hand drive. Yeah. But I've heard some stories of contacting local car clubs and doing like a car show and basically yeah. get a special permit to get through or um, you could ship around as well. So. Yeah. No, the right hand drive is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Or you just get uh, when you're parked at the border, you just have a fake steering wheel on the left hand mm-hmm. side. 
Well, I mean, ironically, we do have a quick release steering wheel, so there you we go. could just mount a hub on the other side. Just saying. Swap the wheel over. <laughs> just saying. Hopefully, the customs agents aren't listening to this podcast. Yeah, someone's been trying to get me for years to just pretend that I'm driving steering wheel. And then, like, look at the person next to you and, like, freak out and hold the steering wheel and be like... <laughs> I, know. I know. And I love you, you want to talk about trust, right? Because... When you're driving a right-hand drive, when you right. pass, you yeah. rely on your passenger yeah. entirely yeah. to be accurate in their assessment right. of, when and then, go, yeah. and then you're driving a Delica, which makes about 60 horsepower. A little bit more. I, than you 60. know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, you've really got to plan ahead, and yeah. you really got to trust your passenger yeah. when they say go for it. Yeah, yeah the right-hand drives are they're exciting. Yeah, they're merging exciting. onto the interstate. Because we, you know, we're entering the interstate about 35 miles an hour and it takes yeah. us a good minute to get up to speed. So yeah. you really have to time that. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. I think it's interesting because we both have a very different way of driving. Like Sam has something, and it happens even when he's walking. He's about like getting out of the way from people and not holding people over. And I'm like, I have as much right as everyone to be here. <laughs> as long as I'm safe, I can be slow and I can make it my practice. Yeah, right? sure. So it's like between us kind of like bouncing back and forth between when we take Sam's way, when we take my way <laughs> in that sense. It's, yeah. it's worked out. Yeah. Oh, it's a good balance. A, oh, that's amazing. So how do people find out more about what you do? How do they find you on the on social media and mm-hmm. Are you guys, you guys have a YouTube channel as well? We do. Um, so our company, which I started out of that 88 Festiva back in 2005 with a friend of mine, uh, is called Yoga Slackers. So anything, TikTok, all of the things, every social channel is uh, Yoga Slackers, uh, yogaslackers.com. And then the van has its own Instagram and uh, direct website URL, but it, it kind of brings you to Yoga Slackers as well. But it's Slacker Van. Slacker Van. I like it. I like it. And then... Do you guys also do trainings and retreats? I mean, do you guys engage with the public if people wanted to come and learn some of these skills that you have? How do they do that? Yeah, looking on the website, um, we put anything from day classes as we are traveling. So one easy thing to do is often we put out our travel schedule, like our driving schedule, and ask people if they want us to come to their local yoga studio or community center to do a class. And that can be anything from yoga, slacklining, acro. Even at the moment, we started teaching some yoga with your vehicles, things that you can do. I like that. We call it also yoga snacks. Yoga snacks. That's cool. I like that. That you can do throughout the day. 
usually once or twice during the year, we have bigger events. Like we're headed to Thailand to do a handstand retreat in December. We have a slacklining retreat there too. And later in April, we have a cycling retreat through Ireland. Amazing. So we try to mix adventure with all the practices that we have. I mean, not all in one event, but... Throughout the year, we want to be able to do a little bit of everything. Well, if you two ever make it to Prescott, Arizona, we would love to have you guys do something for our team. Be wonderful. uh, Have everybody come to the office and learn some of these amazing techniques. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast and sharing your stories and being such an inspiration to so many. The world needs more travelers like you guys that are willing to find your own way forward. And, you know, nonviolence to those that are around us, uh, being very open to these cultures that we engage with. So I really appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot for having us. I mean, it's, it's a pleasure. I've been following Expedition Portal and what you all have been doing for a long, long time. And so it's, well, it's really fun to be on this side of the. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, we look forward to telling your story. And, and Jack Mack, one of our editors, did, a, did an article on your van not that long ago on expeditionportal.com. So people can check that out there as well as find out more information about what you two do. But we thank you for being on the podcast and we'll talk to you all next time. See you out there. (laughs) 